this morning we are stepping from one location into the other. I think these both things go together. Um, one of the things that uh, has been the focal point for uh, ministry for me, and uh, step back here a little bit, ministry for me, uh, probably the main thing that I think I find probably the hardest thing in all Christian walk. Uh, I've, all the things that, that I've ever been exposed to in ministry or just even in just Christianity, the hardest thing that I think I always come a, a, across is prayer. <laughs> I remember, oh, I think it was Ravenhill or maybe it was Tozer that talked about how easy prayer is so easy that even a child can pray. And yet it's so difficult that most adults struggle with it. Like it's such a conundrum. Or such an oxymoron. It's, it seems so easy just to talk to God. And yet it's so hard to make time just to talk to God. And most of us don't. Most of us don't. Um, and and uh, even Jesus, it's like, it'd be, it'd be easy to say, well, the one thing that the church struggles with today is prayer. And it's because we don't pray that this, this, and this. But it, wasn't it Jesus also that during his day had to make a whip and just beat everybody out of the temple? Because why? His house is not the, set, not the house of bills and sales. And it's the house of prayer. Right? And so it's not a new thing for the church to struggle in prayer. We, want, we look at Jesus and we marvel at his ministry. We marvel at the things he's done. But when you look at uh, everything it ties back to, you can tie it all back to prayer. And sprinkled all over the Gospels are, are all these miracles that Jesus did perform. Uh, and then there's this truth that behind all of it, there's prayer. When he prayed for somebody, they were healed. When he prayed, he received strength. When he prayed, he got the courage that it took to face the cross, right? Luke's gospel account mentions it constantly, and it was something that they all noticed. Like this, this is just the stuff they noticed. Like Luke 5, 15, and 16, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him uh, to be healed uh, of their sickness, right? So he's popular in this moment. Uh, he, he, everybody wants to hear and see what Jesus has to say. They, they all want something from him. Uh, how is he going to stay focused when he's so popular? How does he regain his sense of uh, strength? Uh, or how does pride not get a hold of him? Or just thinking that the things that I do are working, so why change anything? But the, literally the next sentence says, but Jesus often withdrew the lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12, just literally the next chapter says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And you wonder where a lot of this comes from, right? Jesus gave time to uh, solitude and prayer. Afterwards, he would come out from those quiet places and teach and perform all sorts of signs and wonders. The disciples, when they had an opportunity to ask anything they wanted, what did they ask? Right? Hey, Jesus, how did you heal this one guy? Hey, Jesus, how did you, uh, how did you do this? How did you walk on the water, Jesus? How did, how, I mean, I don't know, but I'm just thinking like all the things that I think would be neat to ask him. Like, how did you walk on the water? Well, I can hear him right now. Well, by faith, same way you will. Like, how, how, how did you do, well, how did you, how did you know it was going to work? Well, I believed. Well, how did you get to the place where you believed? Well, I prayed. I knew my limitations because my limitations were wrapped up in my communications with God. Right? The extent, right? Because what did Jesus always say? Well, I only said what? That which the Father told me to say. Only the things that I heard the Father say is what I said. Well, what did you do, Jesus? That which I saw the Father do. That's all I said. That's all I did. 
Well, where did you learn all this? In prayer. The places where you can't see. The reason you're asking me because you didn't go there either. If you'd have gone there, you'd have seen where I learned it. Right? And that's this neat thing about prayer. And it's, it's, it's when they ask him about it, like, Jesus, how did you pray? This, this same attribute is passed down to this early church, right? Jesus goes off and tells them, um, uh, listen, to go wait in the upper room. Well, what do you think they're supposed to do up there? Just hang out, twiddle their thumbs? Oh, man, they prayed. They prayed. They stayed together in one place, praying together. And then what happens? Well, we know what happens. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and the church is born. And many times throughout the book of Acts, we see the apostles praying for people as, as well as praying and communing with Jesus. You know, I, I'm not going to go there just yet, but think about it. It was Ananias' prayer that what? Pulled the scales off Paul, right? A great one that I'm going to get into maybe in a few, in a few more weeks because i got a couple others I want to hit first, but... I want to talk about Peter's time when he's praying on the roof of his house. And God gives him what? A vision. What's the vision about? This is what I love too. It's about his own racism. And then what happens? Because God deals with his racism in prayer. Which, by the way, God, you wouldn't have to have people in your life calling you out all the time about your sin if you would just pray to God and let God call you out in private. All right? There's a whole other lesson right there. But God calls Peter out there in private and he says, Listen, man, you got to get over this thing with the Gentiles. You got to get over it, right? And what happens? The first Gentile convert happens, right? But it, where is that seed born from? Time alone with Jesus. Time alone with Jesus makes you love people that you normally hate. That's a whole other lesson all in itself, too. Prayer is powerful because it changes you. It changes you. That change in you is the difference between changing the world. Between changing the world. So here's where we find ourselves, right, for a while. More than a few weeks, because I, I got a lot here to talk about when it comes to prayer, right? I want to learn, I want to teach and learn the art of prayer and learning how to be alone with God and alone with ourselves. Jesus called the church the house of prayer, and this, is, and this is what we must be if we're ever going to fully function within the power and movement of the Holy Spirit. You want the early church function in the Holy Spirit? This is how they did it. They were led by the Holy Spirit, but it helps if you're communing with God to be led by the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of people... That are, I would call them godly. But are they, like, you know, one of the things we say, they are godly men, but not all of them are God's men. Two different things. It's two different things. You can be godly and yet not of God. It's two different things. Prayer brings us closer. One of the uh, sayings that used to be the, or not used to be, but it's one of the sayings that for me has been a very powerful uh, impacting uh, of my life as Leonard Ravenhill used to say a sinning man never prays and a praying man never sins prayer has the ability to change us and conform us into the image of Jesus and place us in the perfect will of God and when we aren't praying what, what are we doing what really are we doing what are we really practicing because at the end of the day it's really about our own relationship with Jesus you're, you're only going to make disciples as good as you are listen to that you know, you're only going to make people like you. You know, make no mistake, you know, one of the things we're like this week, you know, or this last week, uh, I think I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, but I had pastors calling me up saying, hey, these people are very spiritual people. They're very Holy Spirit-filled type people, so they're not fitting in in our church, which is a sad statement in and of itself. But then to say, hey, I think, I think I, I wanted, I'd like to put them in touch with you. You know what I love? I love that people could see that in me because it's not something I try to be. It's the only thing I know. 
Now, I don't get that because I just try to act more charismatic. It's not about how loud I can talk or how loud I can preach. It's about how much I can pray. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm made into the image of Jesus through prayer, not through sheer will and determination. I'm going to tell you how that goes every time. It ends up in failure and guilt and condemnation, which are not born of the Spirit. When we try to go things and we try to do it our way, we always end up in failure. This is where prayer helps us. It aligns us with the Father. It reminds us of who we are. Sometimes it's good to be reminded how small you are, which is what happens a lot in prayer. Because in prayer, when you get on your knees, when you lift your hands, you have to admit that you need help. God, I don't know it all. I can't do it all. I need you. I need you. And when we're like that way, then we can be used by God. I remember in the books of uh, Narnia, uh, great children's books that teach wonderful lessons, um, there's a scene where uh, Caspian, who uh, is in the book, a not of the royal bloodline, so to speak, in Narnia, uh, but uh, the Aslan, who represents Jesus in there, says, hey, you are to be the next king. And he goes, I don't think I'm ready. And he goes, and for that is why you're going to be the king, you know, because you admit it, because you know you're not. You know that you're going to have to lean on others. You know that you need something more. And because you know that, that's, why, that's what makes you qualify. You know, as, as somebody who leads and who is looked at as a spiritual leader, one of the reasons I think God placed me as a spiritual leader is my complete deficiency. I have all these like, things that I think are wrong with me that I think I struggle at. And, I'm, and, and my confessions, even before y'all, of, 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 of things that I think I'm not as great at. You know? But what, what, that's when the Lord comes in and goes, I'm your strength, right? Well, that is only reminded to me. I only think I can even do it is if I stay close to Jesus. Because the moment I step away from Jesus, I'm just back to being a weakling again like anything else. And I can't do anything. But prayer aligns me. It pulls me back in. Pulls me back in. Now, before I get started this morning, I want to I start in prayer. Because this morning, I think I have a, I think I have a very good, we're going we're gonna to walk through the prayers of different individuals over the next month or two. And as we walk, I mean, we're going to look at some of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. And there's a reason. I want us to look at why some of these prayers were answered, why some of these prayers are unique, why they were recorded. And, and I think as we begin to study these things together, we're going to start to see some traits and certain things. Listen, I'm not trying to create a formula. What I'm trying to show you is some characteristics of these individuals that makes them unique and makes these prayers unique and not like the prayers you hear normally. That's really what I want to do. And, uh, and hopefully, man, we glean from this little seeds that help our own prayer life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, teach us to pray. We, we speak now uh, as your disciples, God, and we ask just as Peter did, Lord, just as John did and Andrew and Matthew and, all, and Luke and all of them that stood before you and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, I, I see your miracles. I see the way you preach. I see the way you talk, God. But Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us where your closeness with God is. Teach us, show us the inside of your secret place so that we can be in communion with the Father, so that we can speak with your tongue, God, and that all that we say is what we heard the Father say, and all that we do is what we've seen the Father do. Open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, and may our heart be porous, God, and not hard so that we receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to focus this morning on a single woman's prayer. And the first eight scriptures here set up the prayer that's about to be prayed. 
Because you need to understand what's happening. You need to understand what this uh, woman, her name is Hannah, what she's about to pray, why she's praying what she prayed, what leads us into this. You have to understand what she was going through. Just like when you pray, usually when big, giant prayers are birthed out of anyone, it is usually because they are going through something. They are going through something. Right now, this woman needs a, a, a lot of help with a, a, a washer and a, dry, a washer dryer or a washer, and, and she needs a few other things. Life has thrusted some unexpected things upon her. Uh, like a while back, one of our own families here, cars break down, jobs get slow, things happen. And when those things happen, right, I'm going to tell you, it pulls out the prayer life out of you, don't it? Like you could not pray all year long, but by gosh, you just learned how to pray overnight. You know, and, and, and there are some things where life and circumstances will draw out the, the need for faith in your life. Now, the hope is that when these moments happen in your life, you develop something that's more standard, right? Because you know how awkward it is to go up to somebody that you hadn't seen in a year and ask them to borrow some money? You know how easy it is for you to do it to your mama, though? Because you see them all the time. You know, you see them all the time. Listen, I'm trying to teach you something about the Lord here. You know, when you walk up and you ain't prayed in a year, but you walk up to Jesus like, hey, I need something. Uh, I know I haven't been that good. I know I haven't been coming to church. I know I haven't been doing like I'm doing now. But can you give me a handout now, Jesus? That's like every Christian, right? Come on. God wants more than just that once a year prayer where you're dire needs. So you come to him. He just wants a relationship with you. God loves you enough, man. God will give you things, man. He'll, he'll, he'll surprise you. But God wants more than anything just for you to talk to him day to day. Now, listen, this is one of these circumstances here we're going to read about that is an extreme circumstance, but I think there's something to be gleaned from it. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Say amen if you're there. Yeah, all right. I like this. I like it. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill of Ephraim. He was the son of Jerohim, son of Elu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of the heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would only give her one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah, Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? We'll stop right there. Hannah is one of two wives from one guy. That's already trouble. However, that's not the problem here. The problem is that Hannah is made fun of. She's mocked. She's bullied. She's treated poorly or harshly by this other woman. And why? Because she can't have children. Now, that's a huge deal amongst women back then. This is not the new time. Listen, we're already in Samuel right here, but that's not a new to the culture. 
go back and read Genesis. You know, one of the stories that I give a hard time to is Jacob. Like, I don't know about Jacob. He's kind of a fishy guy to me. As much as God loves Jacob and he blesses him, I'm still thinking, like, the, to me, the decision's still out on me if I even like Jacob. You know, you're married off to this other woman named Leah, right? And he's like, oh, I can't believe I got married to this other woman. It's not even the one I wanted. But, like, five kids later, he finally marries Rachel. Well, it wasn't that bad, was it? And then he gets Rachel, right? And Rachel can't have children. So Leah, who's the unwanted wife, who's like, because they make a big deal in the Bible of how pretty Rachel is. So you have to think that Leah must not be a looker. So here's someone who's not as pretty as her sister. Got, had, the only way she could get married is if they trick him. All right? You got some bad feelings about yourself. Probably got low self-esteem, right? But you can have all these kids and Rachel can't. And Leah does the same thing. She taunts her. And it, and it really gets bad. If, I mean, you want to talk about a horrible scenario is that scenario between Leah and Rachel. Look, I've got like all these kids and you got none. So Rachel's like, you know what? Sleep with my servant. And then I'm going to have the servant's kids. Oh, that's not, well, that's not wisdom. <laughs> Having your husband sleep with other people is not wisdom. Right? And you, after a while, you know what makes me mad? Not one time Jacob's going, no, bro, what kind of husband are you? Like, talk some sense into your wives here. They're telling you to sleep with all these. This is a bad deal. It's a soap opera up on soap opera. Unbelievable thing that's happening there in Genesis, right? But the same thing is happening. There's culture we see all the way to Genesis. If you don't have a child, if you can't have babies, you're like less of a woman. And they taunt you for it. You know why? Because surely God can't love you if you're like that. Oh, it's deeper than that. See, when a, when a man is married and has children through a woman, you can tell that they have intimacy, right? I mean, that's how babies are made. And here's the thing. You, you, you can see that they have this private life. You can see through children they have intimacy. You can see the mutual love between them because children are the proof. They're the consummation of love. They're the physical proof that there's a connection between the husband and wife. That's kind of a no-brainer. So here is Hannah. She's childless. While this other woman is having kids left and right. So for all appearances, it looks as if Hannah is a woman nobody wants. Well, can't you see that I love you? Yeah, but nobody else can. Nobody else can. Nobody else can see that. Even Hannah's husband understands this and tries to comfort her with materialistic stuff. But let me tell you something only a parent can know. There's nothing that can be bought that will replace the joy that a child can bring. Amen? Man, having a kid is a wonderful thing. I believe every, gift is, every kid is a gift. I do, man. I don't think there are. I really don't. I don't really think you can just, any baby has a fair chance of being awesome. Babies are a gift from God. Even when we screwed up with premarital sex and everything else that goes on, babies are a gift from God. Amen. They are. Years and years, though, for Hannah, abuse, this is, continues to happen. And, and Hannah's basically had enough. She's broken. She's at her end. And so she prays. And here's where we have to pay attention. I mean, everybody has a breaking point. You can only be teased so long before that's it. You know? Man, this is what they don't tell you. They all teach you how the bully's bad, but they never teach you when the point when the person gets sick and tired of the bully. Right? Then, the, then all of a sudden the story shifts and the narrative changes when somebody gets tired there. And, 
And now here's where this changes. You know, they've, they've, they've showed you what is hurting her. They showed you what has brought her to her knees now. This has broken her on the inside. Her spirit, no matter how much this man loves her, no matter how much this voice that keeps that's unrelenting, look at you, you can't have any babies, and look at everybody. That makes, you know, when you have that in your mind, everywhere she goes, all she can think is, here's the woman with all the kids, and I'm what, like the servant that just trolls behind? But all he can't be his wife. She ain't got no kids. He's obviously intimate with his wife, but not this person. That has to wear on you after a while, and eventually you break. And if you pick it up in verse 9 through 18, verse 9, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, says, Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. He's seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought, she's been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. First of all, isn't it wonderful how you can pour it all out? And her situation is not fixed in that moment. And, I, and this isn't in my notes, but I'm just sitting them looking at this, just stating the obvious. It's interesting to me how you can pour yourself out at the altar. You can kneel down and bow, and you can cry, and you can weep, and you can tell the Lord everything, and you can confess your sorrow, and you can confess and be in great anguish and deep conviction, and you can pour it out, and no answer be given to you whatsoever. But when she walks away, it says what? She walked away better. Sometimes, man, I think there's so much healing in just getting it out. How long are you going to hold it in? How long are you going to be tired about a circumstance? Just let it out. I mean, what are you worried about? Somebody seeing you kneel down up here at these old wooden altars? Come on. Sometimes we just need to pour it out. So here the Bible tells us that she was in deep anguish. She was crying bitterly. Now, those are kind of an older words. We don't use those kind of words anymore. The dictionary defines anguish as being in severe mental or physical pain or suffering. She was having this gut-wrenching experience there on the floor before God at the temple. She's like weeping uncontrollably. You know that kind of weep where you just like your nose is running. You're, you can't wipe it off enough, right? She, she's weeping. She makes this vow to the Lord, one that to me it's almost unthinkable because while at first it would seem selfish, there is this innocence and wonder as she in like the same breath commits to the unthinkable. She asks for a child. Because we know she wants one, but in the same breath, she commits to giving back the child to God and commit this life of this child completely and solely to God. To me, there's no wonder if you're praying in anguish over something like that. I can't imagine uh, ever giving up a child. Oh, I'm gonna, I want a baby, Lord, but as soon as you give it to me, I'll give it right back. 
Now, Eli the priest confirms that it's like this extreme way she's praying. He, he like basically validates everything that we read here about her because it says he sees her lips moving and he witnesses this painful weeping and groaning and he thinks there's something else going on here. The unfortunate part, there's a whole other sermon here about Eli and how he's kind of lost that voice of God within him. He can't even tell what anguish in prayer looks like, which by the way, the one person that should be able to tell what anguish in prayer should look like should be those who live in the house of the Lord. So there's a whole other sermon there of what has befallen this priest and befallen this man that he can't tell what heart gut riching prayer looks like. He thinks she's drunk. Still Hannah prayed. She cast her cares upon the Lord. It wasn't pretty. Matter of fact, it was downright ugly, but she didn't care. She was determined to reach heaven with this request. So how does this apply to us? How do, how do we look? What are we supposed to glean? What are we supposed to learn from some of this? First of all, let's just deal with the motive. Let's deal with the motive for prayer. What motivated Hannah to pray? Well, a few things here, because I think there's maybe a little bit of confusion here, what we might think. Uh, 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 I think a lot of it here starts with just the growing frustration over the appearance of a lack of intimacy. All right. Does she really want another child? She just said she'd give one away. Does she, is that what she really wants? I think the what she wants first and maybe foremost and maybe the motive for her prayer is to quit being taunted as the woman who doesn't have a kid. I think first and foremost, that's it. There can be no children without intimacy after all. So she's frustrated this. There's this appearance in her marriage as if her husband doesn't love her because nobody can see that the, from the outside that they've been intimate at all. So how, how do we relate to this, right? First of all, we should feel the same thing that Hannah felt. For those who say they know Jesus Christ, where, where, where is the fruit of your intimacy with God? This is, how, this is the way we relate to this. Listen, make no mistake. God said, go and make what? Disciples. Right? And if we're intimate with God, we bear the fruit of what? God. So what is that in your life? What are the fruits? And ultimately, that's what people are going to see. Listen, the mockery that comes from the world comes from one thing. They don't see the what? They don't see the fruit. I'm getting ahead of myself. The Bible says on earth as it is in heaven, which means when we're with Jesus on this intimate level, we should produce children or newborns as well. Right now, I believe the church, that the world laughs at the church. I think they mock us. I do. I think they mock us. I think the homosexual community laughs at us. I think, I think all the uh, drugs and alcohol community, I think they laugh at us. I, th- I, I think all of them do. Why? Because we say we're with Jesus. We say we're close to Jesus. But you know the one struggle where they don't see it? They don't see us love like Jesus. They don't see us accept like Jesus accepted. They don't see us perform miracles like Jesus. They hear an awful lot of talk about how we're Christian, but that's about as far as it goes. They don't see the intimacy that we have, the connection that we have with the Father. Because here's the thing. There's no way. you Listen, my married couples in here know the longer you're with somebody, the more you become like them. They say there's actually been studies. It's a funny study, by the way, that says that as you get in there 40, 50, 60 years, they'll put two couples together. You know, they've been together 40, 50, 60 years, and they'll start to smile, and they start to look alike. It gets weird. Yeah, true studies, right? They start to look alike. Their, their actions and the things that they find funny start to get more and more similar, more and more similar, more and more similar. They could, have, they could have started off on opposite ends of the spectrum, but by the time they finish their life, they're so much like each other, right? Why? Because of intimacy. Because of intimacy. 
Anybody that's lasted that long knows that the only way you get 50 years in marriage is through intimacy. It's the truth. The only way we make it as Christians, the only way we're going to win the world, the only way we're going to save the world is through intimacy with Jesus Christ. This church has long since said from the very one, it sounds, people have a hard time understanding it because, because of, the, the, I don't know, for whatever reason. But we always say here, it's something that I've developed here, it's my mission statement, that I will return to God to advance the gospel. My return to God is what? My intimacy with God. I am going to return my relationship to being so connected with God. And in my close connection or my close proximity, my intimacy with the Lord, that is what's going to advance the gospel. I'm not going to buy into this idea that if I, I've got to go leave the church and, and brazen out into hell and like I'm some uh, a gladiator for Christ. Like I can somehow withstand the, 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 the gates of hell all by myself. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to get away from the church because the church, you know, uh, they're never going to do that. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. The closer we draw into Jesus means the more we become like him. And, and one thing you got to like start to learn, especially when it comes to make disciples, is this. That the closer we draw to Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The more you start to hang around Jesus, you start to realize quick, real quick, you can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save so just draw closer to Jesus because what people are going to be attracted in you is not you. Get your arrogance out of there. It's not like how smart you are and how great your theology is. Nobody cares about that. You know what they want? They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want, they want the scripture that we all love and hear, that there's no condemnation in Christ. Yeah, well, they're doing all this bad stuff. Yeah, Jesus knows too. So were you when he found you. He gave you grace, didn't he? Man, we forget some of that stuff. We forget it. Why? Why do we forget it? Probably because we're not praying. When we lose intimacy with God, we, we tend to lose our minds. We go back to carnal thinking. Matter of fact, what we go back to is religious thinking. We start to feel high and mighty when we get away from God about all the things we do. Rather than who we are in him. Jesus grounds us. Jesus grounds us all the time. Like one of the great things, uh, there's a book that I'm going to hand out today. And one of the things the book talks about is how when Jesus went to prayer, and one of the great things about Jesus getting in an isolated place going to prayer, Jesus had to be reminded first and foremost, what does the Father say? What is the Father doing, right? And by always saying, I only, I only said what I saw the Father say and I only did what I saw the Father do, right? You know what he had to admit at that moment? That he had to be humbled. Even Jesus had to be humbled in prayer. So that he could receive no glory for himself for the things that he'd even done, right? Who received glory? When Jesus did a work, who received the glory? The Father. Right? I do all these things so that I may glorify the Father. Right? Not, not even that. Not even the miracles he did. Not even the ministry. Not even the church is born out of the glory of Jesus Christ. Although he receives glory, it's born out of the glory of the Father. Because he was sent to honor the Father before mankind. It's interesting. Not, and, and, and prayer did what for Jesus? It held it, this is what controlled his flesh. I mean, if he felt pain like we feel pain, if he went through all things that men go through, right? By the way, remember the devil tries to tempt him with pride. He tempts him with all the riches, the materialistic things. Why would he do such a thing? Because Jesus was also all man. And he was tempted by these things just as we are, right? So how could he conquer these temptations? In prayer. Why would he retreat? Come on, he has all this power. He goes. There are scenes in the Bible where he goes, where we see multiple things happen, maybe even multiple days, but then he goes away to pray, and he prays all night. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't want to pray every day of the week, then you're okay. You know what? 
take the whole week off, but on Saturday, don't call anybody and pray all day. Then you can, that's, it, that's what Jesus did. So you know what? He gets a pass on why he didn't pray every day in the Bible. Because of scenes like this where it says he went out to the mountain and he prayed there all night and we didn't see him until the next day. Oh my gosh. Man, I'm lucky if I get through an hour. Come on, amen. Yeah, right? Yeah. I keep thinking, you know, the Ravenhill in one of his books says, you know, that the pastor isn't worth his wage. They didn't pray in at least three hours a day. And I'm like, man, I'm never, I'm not ever worth anything. <laughs> yeah, that's what I strive for, by the way. It is what I strive for in my life, three hours of prayer a day. I don't know if I'm ever going to make it, but it's a, it's a wonderful goal. Wonderful goal. Hannah is disturbed over this lack of intimacy. And she feels the ridicule of it all, right? And I think we should too. Man, I feel the ridicule of the world. I feel that big time. And this is what should motivate us to pray. We should feel that deep within our own heart, that there should be this, this holy you know, yearning thing or the desire to just basically see others come to Jesus. There should be this fire in your bones to see newborns, right? The Bible says in Luke 15, 10, that there is a joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Come on, every time we see somebody come to the Lord, we bring somebody in, or we're trying to lead somebody into Christ, man, the whole heaven is erupting in joy. Right? We get to partake in that, man. We get to be a part of that. I think that's cool. The Apostle Peter would later reaffirm this, 2 Peter 3.9. He said, the Lord is not slow keeping his promise, as some, um, some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, which basically means this. God says, I allow a lot of things to happen because I want everybody to know. So I'm holding off the apocalypse. I'm holding off the end of this Bible. I'm holding off these things, right? Somebody asked me the other day, they were saying, listen, Jim, you know, I was talking about, you know, I'm still fighting the war on drugs and alcohol and trying to save kids. And I guess, listen, man, you know that the end's already written. I said, I know, I know. And I know it's coming. But y'all, you know what I also know? I quote him back to Isaiah. I said, remember when King or when Isaiah prayed for King Uzziah and King Uzziah got what? An extra 15 or 16 years added on to his life. Can I tell you, if God will give me a 15 or 16 more years of peace, if he'll give me 15 or 16 more years of revival, if he'll prolong a time or a season before the end comes, because God can and it's still not mess up his plan, I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to fight for that. And, it, and, and, and I said, you know why? He goes, why? I said, because my kids live in it. I'm never going to be the guy that gives up. That's what that kind of spirit is to me. Well, we win in the end. Good job there, buddy. Do you want to see everybody's heads get cut off in the end? Have you read the end of the book? Like, bro, there's still people that come to Jesus, but they don't come to Jesus very fun. Like, it's not just a decision at the altar. It's not just words that are just read out loud. They're going to have to find Jesus in a whole other way that nobody's going to like. Or we can pray for this gap. There's precedence for it in the Bible. Where God has sustained things. He's allowed seasons to remain. You know, it was a horrible time. And prophecies were already out during the days of Josiah. That the Babylonians were coming. That they were going to take everything. But while Josiah was alive, God says, while he's alive, I'm going to bring peace. For as long as he's alive, I'm going to bring peace and allow the land never to be moved. If you think... That your prayers don't matter or your presence on this world don't matter. God allowed the Israelites, the entire nation, to experience peace for the lifespan of Joseph. One individual. 
Don't think you don't make a difference. Don't think your prayers don't make a difference. Don't think your connection or your relationship with God doesn't make a difference. Don't think that God wouldn't honor your relationship between you and him, right, upon a whole nation. How crazy is that? There's precedence for it all over the Bible. He changed the whole days of Elijah, remember? (laughs) That should motivate us to pray. The Bible says God loves everyone. He loves the whole world. He's called called all of us to him. As Hannah was motivated by her barrenness, so should the church. So should we. You want to see some of your family saved? Pray. Pray for them to be saved. If uh, If not by your words can seeds be planted, then pray that God would send another that they can receive from. Listen, I think this for my family and my brothers all the time. Now, I believe they're saved. They want to tell me they're saved. They want to tell me they love Jesus. But, you know, one of the things I've learned about uh, the Christian walk is this. Like, I don't, like, I'll say in here, tennis doesn't make you saved. But Christian people want to hang around other Christian people. People who are striving to be like Christ want to hang around others that strive to be like Christ. They're drawn to church. Whether you want to like that or not, you're drawn to it. You can't hate the church and love Jesus. How does that work for you around your friends when your friends talk bad about your wife? You, get, you invite them to your house? I'm just asking. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, come to my house and talk about it about my wife, see how long that lasts. Just saying, how can you love Jesus and hate his wife? I always think that's funny when I hear people like, well, man, it'd be fine if it wasn't for the church, bro. You better get over that one because last I saw, he marries her. I mean, the whole reception in the book of Revelation is the wedding. Better get used to that one. Get used to it. Find your love for the church. First of all, what's crazy is how can you, I don't, I don't understand a little bit of that because to me, the greatest thing about the church to love is her imperfection and the fact that God loves her imperfection. Because that little piece that's her imperfection is kind of like the rib thing between man and women. You know, men have an extra rib, women are lacking one, right? So when you put a man and a woman together, they make one whole, right? What do you think the bride, the bride has that one imperfection in her? Who do you think that makes the difference? Jesus. And so when we're reunited with Jesus, we're made whole. That's why those who walk in Christ are made whole. It's all the same. You, you know where you get this kind of insight from? Prayer. Prayer. Jesus is willing to teach you. He's willing to like open your eyes to the way the scriptures walk and the scriptures move. But the only way you, you have to first come to prayer, you bow your knees and say, I don't know it all. God, I need you. I need you. We, we must pray. We must pray. We must pray if it's the only solution. or Otherwise, people perish. That's what we have to. Desperation is a great motivator. Amen? Look at Hannah, right? Second, we have to ask, how do we pray about such things? Well, first of all, if our heart isn't in it, then we have to repent and ask God to change and transform our heart to be more like his. God will transform your heart into a heart that's more like his if you ask. He will. He wants to, right? In doing so, it will become easier to pray the prayer of faith. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? I say this a lot when I get ready to repent. Lord, I, like a lot in my prayer, I'll, I'll, these couple of scriptures I'm about to read, I say them a lot. Like, like I remind myself, when I come to the altar, these are the things that are going through my mind. I said, Lord, I repent, first of all, before I even say anything, God. Let me say I'm sorry for all the dumb things I did this week, for all the things that I should have said but didn't say. Maybe for the lack of faith that I had over here in, in my life, God. Maybe for these things that I'm still struggling with, God. I know that nobody thought I was an awful person this week, but guess 
guess what, God? I saw what I really was in private. Lord, I hate to expose you to that, but God, I know you can heal that within me. But Lord, I repent. And, and the reason I am so adamant about this, because it says in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And I feel the Spirit ask me that. And I'm reminded the Scripture says, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. So how do I make my prayer heard? Well, first of all, I repent. How do I ascend the hill? How do I put myself in the holy place? First of all, I remember that only clean hands can come before the Lord, only a pure heart. So I repent. That's the first thing I do every time I hit the altar. Every time. I don't ever come and pray to God without first repenting. Ever. Why? Because scripture tells me not to. Scripture tells me, how can, my, how can I be in the holiest of holy places unless I am repentative, unless my heart knows that it needs repentance? How can I be any other way? This is what a pure heart is, is a repentative heart. Secondly, and we could take from Hannah that she was broken. This is what will allow you to repent, by the way. She came before God with a broken heart, a heart that was open to the will and the desires of God. She prayed with all of her heart. She poured everything out before the Lord. She didn't care what anyone thought. Some of you got to get past that. When we come to the altars, when we're praying, when we're lifting our hands and things, some of you got to get past what, what people think and what, what all that, that's, that's got to go, right? She prayed with every bit of strength she had in her and did so in a way that was right before the Lord. Psalm 51, verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is what? A broken spirit. And then it goes on to say, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He's saying like, when I come broken before the Lord, God doesn't turn me away. That last part of her vow is what sets this prayer apart. She didn't want to have a child all to herself. No, she promised that this child would always be the Lord. She just wanted the blessing, hear me, of intimacy. What person gives up a child? So is that what she wanted? If you want a baby, do you promise to give it away? So what do you want? What do you really want? She wanted the proof of intimacy. My husband loves me and I want everybody to see it. I want everybody to see it, that my husband loves me. No more bullying. No more people giving me a hard time. I want to walk through my normal day and have a kid that I can be proud of who serves the Lord. It's a good thing. And I'm willing to give my kid up for both of those things, that I can have a kid who serves the Lord and that I can never be bullied again or hassled about if my husband loves me or not. And this is where the Lord had mercy on her. Here is where the purity of her prayer was something that God could rally behind because it's something he longs for. God longs for intimacy with us. Tozer used to say that God waits to be wanted. Oh, man, God resonated with this. He resonated with this prayer. I know what it feels like. I want intimacy with my people, and my people are always trying to fight intimacy with me. And then so my people walk around the earth and everybody thinks that we have no intimacy back and forth. I try to ordain her with all these nice things. Go read Ezekiel. It's an awesome story about how God ordains us and all this nice stuff and all how he wants to make us beautiful and he wants the whole of the nations to see us and everything. But we're always fighting him on it. God longs for intimacy on it. I mean, what did you think Psalm 91 was about? Let's read Psalm 91 after reading those prayers. All right, most of you know this one. Well, let's read it after listening to this prayer. 
Those who live in the secret place, some call it the quiet place or the lonely place or a shelter or the desert, of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, right? When I'm praying, when I find that this is what he is for me, right? That he is my place and my safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap, protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. He will, uh, his faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes, see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge... You make the most high your shelter. No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up uh, with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust my name. When they call on me, I will answer, and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Who? Who will he do these things for? Who will he protect? Who will he gather? Who is he going to pour his love out on? Those who live where? In the secret place. In what does it say? In the, in the picture up here, it said the lonely place. The lonely place. Uh, God... God in the desert, when, when Jesus came out from how many days in the desert? He was in the desert. He was in the, the, the quiet place or the lonely place out there, right? Facing temptation. He says it came out with power. In John the Baptist, he came out with power. This is what the Lord, he's going to honor those who hang out in the secret place. In, in Christianity, there's another word we've called it. We've called it the prayer closet, right? What's the movie that came out a while back? The war Was it the war room or the... Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. That's a good name for it. The war room. My, my prayer for this church is really always a prayer for intimacy. I'm praying that we become a place where intimacy uh, that we develop uh, with the Lord creates newborns. So my prayer is always the prayer of Hannah. Lord, I, I know who we are in here. And I know that, like, I, I'm not have to give a salvation calling. I know everybody's saved in here. It's not about salvation this morning. Not for us. It's about salvation for others. You're in the know. God has already taken your dead heart and give it a resuscitation. And he has brought you to life. And now you live in the life abundance. You know what it's like now to live on the heaven side of the tracks. But there's so many others. I was reminded in the same conversation where I was saying, hey, I'm trying to press God on extended time and an extended season. And I was reminded in my listen, I'm going to be like uh, Charles Spurgeon, who said, listen, may they jump over my dead body trying to get to hell. Because I'm going to do everything I can to keep it from happening. Well, it's futile. I understand. It's all hopeless if there is no Jesus. It's all hopeless if there is no Christ. And I, and I always say, it's like, you know where that comes from? That, that desire in me that has hope comes from hanging around Christ. Can you imagine? I, I got I to think, though, that like if, if we were Christ, you can have all the confidence you want. But remember, they killed him. 
If we would call that in any other book, we would probably call that not the way to end your story. <clears throat> and I know he comes back, well, he, he lives, you know, after all this way, you know, but that's probably not the story we would write. We'd write it, he's victorious from day one. Like this is, this, he just dominates, because come on, we've all watched sports enough, we'd rather a team dominate. We always like a good game, but we always sweat out a good game. It always feels good when your team just dominates and wins. And you're like, I told you we were the winners. You want that sometimes with Christianity, but Christianity is never going to be easy. Christianity requires faith. Your faith only grows in connection with your intimacy with God. Intimacy comes from prayer. You cannot avoid it. Well, we're worried about these things in our life. We, we don't know how these things are going to happen in our life. There's some really big unknowns financially, or, or maybe, uh, uh, maybe there's other things going on. And it's just there's, there's a lot of this faith part that's going on right now. Well, how much, you know, one of the first things I say always in counseling is, well, how much have you been praying? Okay, pastor, we just got to be honest. We don't pray, you know? And I'm like, okay, there's, there's the first thing we've got to fix, right? right? You, you want to come to the guy who does pray. Well, listen, remember, you don't want that. That's religion. We tried that. It, it, it doesn't work, right? If you were to go on to read about Eli, his sons are awful. You don't want those guys praying for you. If you and the Catholic Church is living some of that right now. You go to them, and they pray, and they seek the Father before you. But the, but the Bible says that's not true. So there's no mediator between man and God except the man, Jesus Christ. So you have the same go-to power as I do. But it's got to start on your knees. I mean, I, I, I pray for you. I do pray for you. But if you want God to really do something to you, in you, for you, you can go ask him yourself. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit falling down and, and, and talking about powerful prayer. But make no, make no mistake here. Powerful prayer comes from a Holy Spirit-filled believer who's connected with God. You want to move in the power of the Holy Spirit? You want, you want to be guided by the Holy Spirit? It starts with praying. <laughs> Pray that what? First of all, that your ears can hear what the Spirit is telling you so that you'll say the things the Spirit wants to say. And this is where we have to head. Let's bring the worship team back up. I want to help us and I want us to push towards this I want us to become the house of prayer I want to see people born again in our church I want to see new believers I want us to walk with them the reason we do Wednesdays the way we do the reason we have uh, uh, all of this where we set up a dinner and where we set up some of these things for uh, Wednesdays so where we can meet and talk and hang out a little bit is so that when we bring in newborns, it isn't just a place where we just treat them like it's a school and we stick them in Sunday school and we just like stick them in this learning environment all the time where they're just being taught to like school. No, Christianity was about relationships. It's always been about relationship. The church was born on its relationship with Jesus between 12 men and their relationship with Jesus. They didn't have religion. They just had Jesus. And then when they birthed out the church, it was just whoever they met. This was the new relationship. I connected with you. I lead you to the Lord. Now you, we disciple, right? And, and what did it say they do? Acts 2.42 talks about how they ate together, how they did communion together, how they, how they served one another, and they did these things together. There has to be that connection. There has to be that relationship or else you just get religion. It can't be all just like from the teacher's seat. But I want to see sinners pulled from hellfire. And I want to see God breathe them Holy Ghost fire. Amen.
Amen. And that starts first on our knees, and it's on our knees to where we'll cultivate soft ground. And soft ground is good for planting. Soft ground is good for farming. But for us, this year, we've started out walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to keep and maintain that through the power of prayer. Let's worship this morning.
that's what the Lord's calling us to. Forgiveness to refresh some things, God, within us. Lord, take us back to the place where we first met you, where we remember our heart being so dark, God, and all of a sudden the light turned on. And Lord, we said that you're always good. Just one. That's all it was. Just one touch, God. We know that's what's going to take for every single person outside our doors, God. We pray right now for everybody in this city, God, for all those who don't know you yet, Father. We pray for them this morning. We lift their souls up before you, even before our own prayers this morning. We put others in front of us, God, and we say, God, reach out to them right where they're at. Right where they're at, God. Lord, take their hearts and do with their hearts like you've done to ours, God. Change their life forever. Change their life forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I know there are many right now. There's so many struggles happening with sickness with this weather change and so many other things. Father, right now, we pray the prayer of healing, God. We claim that by your stripes, they are healed, God. We do so by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you've placed within us, God. We're going to walk and actively function within that power, God, uh, through faith in you, God. Through faith in you, Father. Healed in the name of Jesus sickness gone in the name of Jesus. Even now, some of you struggling with many different, maybe sickness or illnesses, we call that healed right now in the name of Jesus. We come together in one mind, in one accord, in one place, just like on the days of Acts and the days of Pentecost, and we call it done in the name of Jesus. Father, there are many things getting to take place in our country and in, in our community and even in our state, God. Lord, we know that it, our state, all these people, they just need you, God. So in the power of our faith, God, we call that also, Lord. Help us to reach them, Father. Help us to reach fertile ground, Lord. Soften our hearts. Soften our ground once more. Let's pour water on it, Lord. Plant the seeds that need to be planted, God, so that we might see newborns. May we pray the prayer of Hannah within our own hearts, God. May we be upset, wholly angry about the barrenness of our community or the barrenness of our state, Lord, or the barrenness just of the church in general, God, to the point that we begin to pray uh, in deep anguish with great weeping within us, God, for those who are lost, God, so that we may prove our intimacy, God, to the world. Make us a church, make us a body that is intimate with you, Father. Birth within us a desire for a greater prayer life than the one we already have, God. Consecrate our altars so that they may be full every time we get the chance to pray. 
whether it's the altar in our home or the altars here or the altars we make everywhere we go, God. Consecrate them for the work and art of prayer. Teach us, guide us, Holy Spirit. Show us the way we need to go. Show us what to say. Show us what to do that we may confess with the same words that Jesus confessed that I only have done which I saw from the Father and I only said the things which the Father told me to say, God, so that there's no glory found in me. It is all in you, Lord. It's your church, your work, your words, God. Humble us, Father, to our knees, God. Humble us, God, even to our own knees, God. I hope believe God is doing something this year. I hope you believe it. I'm not, it's not, I don't, if you've been here a few years, you already know. I don't like to say, hey, this is going to be the year. This is going to be, I don't like any, all the hype, especially if I don't feel it or I don't feel like God's telling me that's what it's going to be. But I can tell you that this year I walk away different. This year, for whatever reason, God has given me a hope within me. God is wanting to pour out his spirit. God is wanting a new wine once more. And I tell you, I don't think I've ever been so happy in a long time. I feel like it's been dry and maybe it's been arid for a season, but that season is over, even for my own life. And maybe that's what God is telling me. But I tell you, I have hope like I have never had hope. I have enjoyed like I have never enjoyed coming and being with you and, and sharing with you what God is doing, what God is saying. And I can tell you that God is ready. He is ready. He wants to pour out His Spirit. He wants to lavish us in grace. He wants to lavish us in the power of His might. But He's not going to give it to the half-hearted individual. He's not going to pour it out on somebody that's not all there. He's looking for those who are committed. Church, I think that's us. God is going to challenge you. It won't be Pastor Jim challenging you. It's going to be God challenging you. God is going to be the one that starts to say, hey, why don't you spend a little time with me? I want to do something in your life. Why don't you talk to me a little bit? I just want to have a few words with you this morning. I know that you, you, you're maybe going to go to work and it's going to be some days where you're going to have anger and there's going to be things, hey, let's talk a little bit. Maybe, maybe I can help you with that.
us, God. A new wine out of us, God. New wine out of us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Filled in the name of Jesus. Filled in the name of Jesus. This church is filled in the name of Jesus. You are filled right now in the name of Jesus. Everyone up here is filled right now in the name of Jesus. a seat real quick, real quick. I'm not done. We're not done. Have the worship still playing. This young lady, um, Chrissy, inherited all these kids. And it's not the first time we've had to help with families like this where things happen. Life happens. None of you know, Some of you know, you just can't predict everything that's going to happen in your life. It's just how it is. But they need our help today. And so we're going to take up an offering. And uh, you can take an envelope, dedicate it for um, back there in the basket before you leave. Please do something to help her out. Listen, we're going to help her out, but anything you give, we'll place it towards that. Just making sure that you write it in the memo so we can get that done. And if we need to go out and get her a washer day, we're going to go out and get her a washer day. That's just to be how it is. And uh, I, I'm not scared of that at all. Just to simply go buy at Home Depot and get it done. Um, but anything we can do to help her, I mean, groceries, especially when you tackle on kids, I don't know you, but I got three kids, which means I have no food at my house. Heath and Katie, they're going to be skinny the rest of their life. You know, I needed like three more, obviously. So but that's, that's what the Lord does, right? And he pulls together a family and he says, listen, he's grafting us all in. He's grafting us all in, right? So that, and the part of being Christ is where we share the burdens of others. Christ had mercy. He put his hands on the leper. Nobody touches the lepers, but Jesus does. He puts his hands on them. He loves on them. The unwanted, the hard-hearted, God loves them. God loves them. I'm not saying this person is that, but what I'm saying is God bears the burdens. And so should we as people, right? Whatever the husband does, the wife does. That's just how it is. So before you get out of here, make sure you give an offering in the back for that. It doesn't matter what it is. Just something from your heart. Whatever the Lord tells you on that. Uh, also this morning. I have a gift that I want to hand out. And it's a tiny little thing. Uh, the interesting thing about it. I, I pray all of you this uh, blessing that I have been able to get blessed with. Uh, one is that is to work into a place where there's Christians in the place. You know, my bosses are born-again believers. Uh, actually, my, my actual boss, boss, his dad is a pastor. We need to keep praying for him. His dad is, is on a transplant list uh, with his lungs. 
but I, I can't see him ever, ever that happening. He's at an age at this point, and also at health-wise, that that's probably not going to happen for him. And we just want to continue to pray for him and his family. But one of the things I happen to be sharing with him is how I struggle to be alone. It's hard to go to pray, right? I mean, we we struggle. I remember Brennan Manning saying that the reason, one of the reasons we don't go to God alone is because we don't even like ourselves and we don't want God to hang out with us either. I would never want God to hang out with somebody we don't like, you know, and sometimes that's us. And so we tend not to go to God because we're thinking, God, you don't want to hang out with me. I'm not any good. God says, I love you. Get away from that. I don't quit thinking that. And then the other side of that is there's some anxiety things within me just where like I struggle being alone. And when I was telling this or confessing this to my boss, like, hey, when I get ready to go to the dearly, I don't like to go alone because I don't like being alone. And he's like, yeah, but sometimes that's really the best things to happen. He says, man, Jesus was alone a lot, actually. And I was like, I know. I'm the preacher. Right? I mean, like, that's sometimes what we want to say. Because you've heard it. Most of you have been Christians for a while. You've heard all the stuff. What am I going to teach you on some of that? You know you should be praying. You know you should be alone. But it's hard, right? Well, he handed me this book. And it's called Out of Solitude. Three meditations on the Christian life. And there's some wonderful, insightful things that it talks about how Christ got alone. And it's this tiny little thing. I read it like in 15 minutes. All right? But there's some like really great truth in here. Really great truth in here. I'm going to set these out on the table. I, I, I bought, listen, one per couple. That way if there's any extra, we'll hand them out. Maybe somebody knows somebody or something like that. And if I need to buy more, I'll buy more. But a 15-minute read is all it is. And it's really good stuff really really good stuff I was like so happy that I was like Lord thank you for a boss that cares about my prayer life right thank you thank you for people in my life that care about my prayer life that go hey Jim you should borrow this you should borrow it take you 15 minutes to read it and it'll, it'll, it'll really affect your prayer life and he was right there's some really good stuff in here and so I, I want to do the same I want to pass down that same blessing I'm going to put these up here and it's going to be a gift as well so remember we're, we're giving a gift for Chrissy, we're going to try to help her out with this uh, 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 washer and maybe some groceries. And uh, and then this is our gift from the church to you. Man, it starts now. We were, we were a people born to walk in the Spirit of God. We are going to maintain how to do that, how to walk, how to talk, how to do everything else through the power of prayer. All right? We've been given the power. Prayer is going to be where we're going to get the instruction on how to use the power. Okay? I'm not just giving you a gun without instructions. All right? I'm giving you instructions. But you're only going to find them at the altar, whether that's at your home altar or the altar here. Or the altar. Sometimes the altar is your truck. Amen? Sometimes the altar is just walking outside for a while, lawn mowing, getting ready for that season. Find your altars, man. Pray. 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 Amen. God, right now, I just want to thank you, Lord, for continuing to pour out your spirit week after week in this place, God. Lord, we can feel the tangibleness of your invisibleness, God, as crazy as that is, Lord. And Lord, we know that that's only done through the power of the Holy Ghost, God. That within us, it's within us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that it's within us, God. Father, teach us, teach us, awaken us, birth in us the desire for a deeper intimacy with you. Show us this week. Lead us this week. Guide us this week, Holy Spirit. Bring us seed, Lord. Bring us rain. In Jesus' name, the whole house says amen. Amen. Guys, I love you. I love you this morning. 
you are dismissed. Don't just start tearing down like crazy. I know we do it every time, but still. Try to at least hug somebody's neck and shake somebody's hand, God. That's good. Good handshake. Good handshake and hug.